Uh, I'm, in fact, I'll tell you what, hold, go to Jude and hold your place for a moment. And I want to turn back to Second Peter for a moment. We're going to be right, right back and forth between those two for a minute. Second Peter is where we're going to actually end up starting tonight, but we're going to end up in Jude here shortly. And um, so, if you'll help with that, uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, I dealt with a couple of issues, and we spent several weeks dealing with it, um, teaching on uh, how to how to identify or how to discern false teachers. We've spent a great deal of time combating those things that are happening in our day, especially among false teachers in the last year. We've done a rather lengthy study on the Word of Faith movement um, and the New Apostolic Reformation folks, the New Age um, occultism that seems to be creeping into our churches by uh, leaps and bounds and seem to be penetrating into our churches and church leaders that uh, are getting up and and departing from the Bible. And they're either teaching some new revelation that the Bible does not speak about, or they undermine the revelation that we have in our hands. And those are usually the two tactics that false teachers use, one or the other or a combination of the two, where they're either providing new revelation that is not to be uh, that's taken outside of Scripture or whether they're undermining the truth of our own Scriptures. And so we spent some time dealing with that. We spent some time dealing with how to identify false doctrine and the importance of this. We've spent about a year trying to clarify some misconceived ideas and thoughts of Scripture. And we've dealt with some very specific topics, issues of doctrine that were incorrect because people either have misread Scripture or have been mistaught Scripture. And um, so I want to go back and revisit one more area of this idea of false teachers and false doctrine, and that is, as Christians, what is our responsibility to respond to it? How do we go about responding to it biblically? And there are some things I think the Bible teaches very clearly on this, and I want to try to be a help to you, because it's one thing for us to have the discernment, to be able to understand it, to identify it, to be on guard for it, to be diligent about it. But when we go to respond to it, I believe we need to do it biblically and the way that God would prefer for us to do it. I'm I'm not going to go back and reteach everything, but I do want to give you uh, a few things uh, just by way of remembrance, and I'm just going to move rather quickly through some of this. In Second Peter chapter number one, if you will, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter two. We're going to start in chapter two for sake of time. I'm not going to read. Last time I read through the whole chapter, pretty much of chapter one. We don't need to do that tonight. So we'll begin in chapter two of Second Peter. The Bible says, "But there were false prophets also among the people, as, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in their damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction." And the reason Peter refers to it as damnable heresies is uh, they're not just misunderstanding um, something that is not of eternal importance in Scripture, although I know all of Scripture is given uh, for our benefit and our profit. But uh, let me give you a for instance. If, if we're wrong on the subject of tithing, it usually is not going to mean somebody's destination of heaven or hell. Uh, it is a doctrine. Uh, our giving is a doctrine, and it is something we hold to, and it's taught in God's Word. But the damnable heresies that Peter speaks of here are, are the, the, the doctrines that pertain to the soul of a man. It means literally the eternity of it, uh, whether he's going to spend eternity in heaven or whether he's going to spend eternity in hell. And these are the heresies that were, uh, and the, the doctrines that were being attacked and that were being spoken of here by uh, Peter in this second letter. And the Bible says this in verse number 2, And many shall follow after, or follow their pernicious ways, 
by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness. And I want you to remember that phrase for a moment because we're going to look at it again in a moment. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And so, uh, again, we dealt with the fact that false teachers uh, do one of two things. They either add to Scripture and say, the Lord told me this. Uh, By the way, and I'm just going to say this, and I know I've said it already in passing, but I cannot warn you and I enough on this. It is vitally important that you and I be careful when we say, God told me to, and then we say what God told us to do. Now, it is one thing for God to reveal something to you through His Word, but God does not audibly give us something new that is outside of Scripture. When He leads us, He leads us through the truth of His Word and His Holy Spirit's guidance of opening opportunities and putting it on our heart's desire. But for us to say, God told me, and then we say to uh, drive 45 on Frontier Road, uh, that's a very specific thing. God doesn't speak that way to us anymore. He gives us His will through His Word. And uh, when we talk about uh, knowing the will of God for our lives, the will of God is found in His Word. And I know what we mean by that usually is what, what is God's plan day to day for me, uh, but His will is found in His Word. And if you want to know what God's will is on the matter, you look into Scripture for it. And the Lord will show you that. The Holy Spirit will enable you to understand it through His Word. But be careful. Uh, A lot of times we get this uh, almost uh, super spiritual, external from Scripture. The Lord told me to uh, go down this street and down over here. And He he doesn't speak like that anymore. Okay? Uh, If He brings an opportunity across your path, that's His choosing. But He doesn't speak audibly to us like that or even that distinct... Uh, of specific instances like that. He does lead us through His Word. And as we study His Word, as we pray and have the Holy Spirit uh, bring opportunities across our path, uh, we will be able to follow His will and do what He wants for us in our lives. So false prophets will begin by adding things to God's Word. They'll get up and say, God told me to tell you, and then they'll give you something that's not in Scripture. So they're going to add to Scripture. The other thing they're going to do is they're going to undermine Scripture. They're going to take Scripture that's there and they're going to do one of two things with it. They're either going to deny it utterly, or they're going to take it completely out of context and make it say something that they want to be said that's not even what it's teaching. They're going to do one of those two things. So either way, they're either adding the Scripture or they're undermining the Scripture that we have. Now, uh, they're going to prey on spiritually immature people. So we taught on this that one of the best ways to combat false teaching is for us to go into the Bible and study it and know it and handle it well. Uh, the Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And rightly dividing the word of truth means we have the doctrine and we rightly understand it. The Bible teaches us and Jesus taught his disciples that when the Holy Spirit would come, when the Comforter would come, that he would teach us in all truth. He would guide us. He would give that illumination and understanding of Scripture. And I don't know if you've realized this or not. I think most of you would agree with this. That the more you study the Bible, two things happen. The more you realize you don't know about it, and the more that you want to study it, it, it becomes more and more. You just sort of like, I can't get enough of it. There's, there's so much more to learn yet. Um, <coughs> and so God begins to open that up and teach us some things. False teachers are going to prey on those that are spiritually immature. 
A lot of times the false teachers are the product of misinterpreted scriptures. They're going to take scriptures and twist them. And they usually grow from an ungodly ambition uh, for some either greedy gain or gain of um, uh, fame or fortune, influence. We're going to talk a little bit about, more about some of those. And um, so these are some things that we taught that we have to be careful of. Um, false teachers will reject the words of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to teach something contrary. They'll say, I know Jesus said this, but this is really what he meant. <laughs> Or they'll say something, they'll, they'll put words in his mouth and make it different. Uh, a lot of times, uh, the consensus of a large group of believers on a topic will become our authority. Uh, we'll take the, majority, the majority's understanding of something rather than digging into Scripture and finding out, but what does the Bible say? Uh, I've said this before. If there's a doctrine of Scripture that I have studied and I have dug into Scripture, and it's not in contradiction with any other portion of Scripture, and it's clearly seen, I don't care if there's a thousand other Baptist preachers saying something different, I'm going to hold to what the Bible says. And it ought to be the desire of every Christian to say, I don't care what the majority teaches, I I hope the majority does, and the group I hang around and, and fellowship with, I like to think that on most things we're right on Scripture. But I know there's things I've been wrong on in Scripture, and if that's the case, then the majority can be wrong on it too. We've got to make sure that we come back to Scripture every time to find out if there's something wrong. I've had people that have disagreed sometimes with something I've taught from Scripture, and my answer to them is always this. My desire as a pastor is to teach the truth of God's Word. I don't, I don't get up here to try to just be right so I can have a, a good reputation of, boy, I know a lot, or... I, I want to teach truth. I want people to know truth. And if I'm wrong on it, and, and people that have left or people that have been argumentative with me over the years in any ministry I've been in know this about me, that when that happens, I'll call them up and I'll say, folks, I've taught it the best I understand it. If you can show me from Scripture differently, I'll get up and I'll correct it. Because my desire is to be right on Scripture. And that ought to be the desire of every Christian's heart when it comes to our doctrine. You don't hold to a doctrine just because, boy, that's what I've always been taught. You don't hold to a doctrine because that's what everybody I have fellowship with and love and are friends with believe. You hold to a doctrine because God's Word teaches it. And that is the only reason we hold to, to, to some doctrine. So, uh, very important that we understand these things. Okay, I've already taught this stuff. I'm not going to reteach all of that. So, uh, we get to Second Peter. Uh, let's look in chapter number uh, 2 for a moment once again. And I want us to look. There's two things there again here. I read these verses. I want to read them again real briefly because I want to show you there are two different types of false teachers. And we're going to look at Jude. In fact, we're going to look at Jude before I give those to you. But let's look one more time here in chapter 2. We're going to read down a verse, uh, three verses. But there were false prophets among, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, I want you to notice very carefully verse number 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now keep that verse in mind for a moment. Then I want you to notice in verse number 3, And through covetousness they shall, and this is speaking of the ones that are leading, the ones that are following in verse 2. These are speaking of the ones that are in verse number 1, the false prophets, the false teachers. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, 
and their damnable uh, their damnation slumbereth not. So we see two people that are mentioned here, two types of people. We have in verse 1 and in verse 3 the false teachers who are teaching damnable heresies. In verse number 2, we have their followers. Okay, do everybody see that? We understand it. Let's look in Jude for a moment. Go to Jude, and we're going to start in verse number 17. And this is vitally important and foundational to how we deal with it as Christians. Okay, because there there's some very distinct nuances about this. Verse number 17 of Jude. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there would be there should be mockers in the in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. That's a very important statement. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye beloved, building up uh, yourselves on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some. Have compassion, making a difference. Are we speaking here of lost people? Could be. We're speaking here primarily within the context of these false teachers and those that follow after them. Because that's what Jews are dealing with here. And of some, having compassion, making a difference, and others, save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, not him that is able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. So I want to start off tonight and teach you this from Scripture. There are two types of false teachers. Both of them lead to false doctrine. But there is a distinct difference between them, and the way that the Bible, I believe, teaches us in how to deal with them are completely different. You have those that <coughs> are very uh, very brazen, very bold. The Bible speaks of them having pernicious ways. These are folks that are intentionally deceitful. Uh, in fact, if you're still close to Second Peter, you should be because it's close to Jude there. Let's go back and look at chapter 2 for a minute. And I want us to look at, at verses 12 to 15 for a moment. We didn't read down that far, but I want us to look at it. Second Peter chapter 2, and let's look at verse number 12. And speaking here of these false prophets, now this is a description Peter gives of this group. He says, But these, as natural brute beasts, make, make to be taken and destroy, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which uh, have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam and the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst 
of darkness is reserved forever. And when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Again, we find two different people here. We find those that are, the Bible refers to them here as natural brute beasts. Intentional. And then in verse number 18, we find that there are those that follow after them, those that were they, they've led them uh, that were clean and escaped from them to live in error. While they promised them liberty, speaking of those that are following, they themselves are the servants of corruption. And of whom a man uh, uh, is overcome, of the same is he bought, brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So again, we find two different types. We have those that are viciously deceitful, intentional. They know what they're doing. And, uh, and these are those that do it for several reasons. Uh, hold your place here. Let's turn to Titus chapter 1. Let's look at the reason that, that Paul gives to Titus. And I'm going to give you one verse on it for sake of time. There are numbers of verses that deal with this. And this is not anything new. But Titus 1 and verse number 11. Again, speaking of these unruly, these vain talkers, these deceivers, especially they of the circumcision in verse 10, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. And here's the phrase I want you to see, for one reason and one reason only. For what? For filthy lucre's sake. In fact, the Bible refers to them also as gainsayers. The idea being that they are out for gain. What's in it for them? Building the big megachurch, getting the New York Times bestseller list, getting on the national news media and having interviews, being able to travel the world in luxury in hotels and jets and cars and mansions. This is why they teach what they teach. That's what the Bible says. The Bible calls them brute beasts. But then there's another type of false teacher, and that is the one that is the follower of a false teacher. Many of them do it for several reasons. One of them is because of their ignorance of Scripture. They're babes in Christ. The false prophets that are the brute beasts that the Bible speaks of prey on those that do not study their Bibles and understand them. That's why it is so important. We emphasize so strongly in our church, folks, study Scripture, learn Scripture, know Scripture, handle the Word of God well. I'm fine with you picking up the phone and calling me and asking me a question about it. But folks, don't rely on the pastor to answer every one of your spiritual questions. Know the Bible. Know it well. Be able to discern what is truth and what is not truth. Because there are followers who follow the false teaching. When you follow the false teaching, what is your teaching going to be? It's going to be false, isn't it? Intentionally so? Are you a naturally brute beast who's out for great gain? No, this type of person really believes that they are doing God a favor. In fact, Paul was one of those, wasn't he, before he got saved? He thought he was doing God a favor. And the way that we handle false teachers is different between what kind of false teacher they are. We're to treat one of them one way, and we're to treat another one a different way. And the Bible's very clear about it. I want us to look a couple of things here. Uh, these... 
folks that are, are the followers, a lot of it is because they're immature in Scripture. I'm not going to, again, give you all of the, the references here uh, tonight, but I'll probably deal with it again next week when we finish this up. Uh, but the Bible talks about those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're immature in Scripture. They just don't know better. They, uh, if they don't have a depth of Scripture knowledge, a lot of the other reasons for, or one of the other reasons is because they trust the spiritual leaders that they're listening to to be telling them the truth. And, and after all, you should be able to, right? I would hope that because of the heart that I have to be accurate with Scripture, that for the most part you would trust me with what I teach. But I preclude that, and I, I give a caveat to that. Don't trust it. Check every part of it with Scripture. I hope I'm trustworthy, but check everything. Try the spirits. Check it with Scripture. If I'm wrong, let me know. We will fix it. But, folks, that's, that's one of the downfalls of these people who follow false doctrine and false teachers. And as a result, they also are teaching false doctrine because they trust the spiritual leaders that are teaching them to be their source of truth rather than take the time and the effort to look it up in Scripture and find out if these things are so. And I don't know how many times I've come across people that believe all sorts of doctrine. I've come across preachers that used to stand for the truth and the doctrine in its purity the way that we do or try to do and, and attempt to do that have forsaken that completely now, and they are out here doing all kinds of stuff. And if you ask them why they take the stance that they do today, uh, a friend of mine that I had known for many, many years, and I'd heard uh, in a, a few years back that he had gone a different direction, and I couldn't believe it because I knew how strongly he stood on some things. And I looked up some things even this past week on him and found out, sure enough, he went down a different road and a whole different set of standards and doctrines of, uh, and and. Um, uh, the distinctives that the Bible teaches. And, and people began to question him, why did you change? Why did you change? And his answer kept coming back to, because the more I was around other preachers, I realized that we needed to be softer, we needed to be more loving, we needed to be more accepting. And that was his source of authority, rather than Scripture. And so again, they trust those spiritual leaders, and so we have to be careful about that. They are naively trusting uh, what they're taught, and they don't uh, seek to try the spirits. The third thing, not only are they immature in Scripture, not only do they trust uh, false teachers because they don't have enough spiritual knowledge to understand that it's false, <coughs> but the third thing is the reason that happens is because their lack of their walk with God is suffering. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit will teach us in truth. If we're studying Scripture, if we're asking and seeking for truth, God is not dangling the carrot and snatching it away at the last minute. He wants us to know the truth as much as we want to know it. In fact, more so. God is not tr some trickster that tries to hide His truth in a riddle book. He's written this book as a revelation of His truth to us and has given us the Holy Spirit to help bring illumination and enlighten that truth in our hearts and give us that understanding. And so if a person follows after a false teacher, you can mark it down, their personal walk with God is not what it should be. Because, again, they're not seeking the, the leading of the Holy Spirit in their understanding of these things. All right. Very quickly, I'm going to go ahead and begin tonight. We're probably going to have to finish it up next week. We have two different types of false teachers. Very important that we understand that. 
those that are intentionally doing it, they're doing it for greediness, gainsaying, they're doing it to make merchandise of us, um, and that may be monetary, that may be uh, influence and status, it may be their prideful spirit. Some of them do it simply because they want to have the authority to tell other people in their church things that God said this, so you better do it, and it's not in Scripture. They like they, they get a thrill out of that authority of telling people what to do. I, I'm gonna, we may not get to the how to correct them yet tonight. This may be foundational for next week. I was in a ministry uh, a number of years ago. It's been a long time ago now. And have been in a few other, uh, visiting uh, other ministries a few times that have been very similar in this. And there were people in that church that would not plan a vacation for their family without getting the pastor's permission to take their family on vacation and where they were going to go and when they were going to go and some of them even how, how much money they were going to spend on it. I mean, down to the nitty gritty. And there are pastors out there and there are spiritual leaders out there that thrive on that pastoral authority the Bible tells that the servant of the Lord, the one that's the shepherd of the flock, is not to lord over the flock. He's to lead the flock as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are those out there that love that absolute control of the church body. Uh, every member in it. And I mean, they, they, they would teach this stuff. They would say, boy, if, you, if you're wanting to change jobs, you better go and counsel pastor. And you, if he doesn't say you can do it, you, you, you better not do it. Uh, there were folks that said, well, if you want to uh, go on vacation or you want to take a day of rest off or uh, you want to buy a new house or you want to buy a new car, you better go talk to pastor about it. Folks, you've got the same Holy Spirit living in you that I have. And when it comes to the decisions of life, He can lead you and guide you just as easily as He can guide me. Now, if you ask my opinion, I'm glad to give it to you. But do not look at that as God's permission or authority coming through me. And don't take it from any other preacher, because that is not biblical, and it is not right. And so they do sometimes, these, these deceitful men, these brute beasts, do it simply to lord over the flock. They love having the power over people's lives. So there's two types of folks. I'm gonna, we'll go ahead and start on the first one tonight. What about the, what about the followers? We're going to start with them, okay? Because that one's a lot more pleasant. When we get to the brute beast, it gets kind of brutal. All right? So let's start. We'll get into it, and I'll, I'll knock off here in, in four or five minutes. We, we'll get as far as we can. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Let me give you three specific things about dealing with those that are the followers of false teachers and as such propagate false teaching themselves. They, they're not intentional. They're not trying to get great gain. They genuinely think... They're doing God's work and God's service. Um, how do we deal with them as Christians? Ephesians chapter number 4, let's look in verse number 11. Very familiar passage. I've preached and taught on this quite a bit. We're going to look at a few verses past it and uh, look and see if we can find some things here. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, this is why he gave this. This is why God gave these folks. For the perfecting of the saints... For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, this is a progressive list. Uh, we, we teach Scripture. We help mature. We help bring that idea of maturing the Christian, completing the Christian, equipping the uh, Christian. 
getting them to dig into God's Word, this spiritual maturity, this perfecting of the saints, that is the, the, the key purpose. The measurement of success of a church is not how many people sit in its pews. It's not how many cars they have in the parking lot. It's not how big their buildings are. It's not how big their offerings are. It is about how much the folks that are sitting under the preaching and the teaching of that Word are maturing and growing in the spiritual life. The reason we don't like to say that that's the mark of, or measurement of a church is because maturity is hard to measure. Have you ever tried to measure maturity? And it takes years many times to find out were we successful as a pastor in doing this work because we may not know for years. That Christian character and that growth may not show for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And so we labor sometimes praying and seeking for God to use the Word that's preached to mature and to build people and to grow them. But we have to leave that in God's hands after the Word has been preached because we cannot always know. That's our desire, that's our hope, because that's what God tells us here. The perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. We don't just always sit in a chair and just become disciples and do nothing else, but we then take what we learn and what we've grown in and why we do work of the ministry. And then, of course, the work of the ministry edifies the body of Christ, both by encouraging and building other Christians up and also by leading the lost to Christ. Both of them edify and build up the body of Christ. And so we're to be doing these things. These are the purpose of the church. These are the purpose of your spiritual leaders in these churches and these pastors. This is what, biblically, we ought to be focusing on. Till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're supposed to be pursuing this perfectness, this maturity, until we reach the fullness of the measure, uh, measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When are we going to get there? Not this side of heaven, are we? So that means we are to be pursuing that until we get to heaven. There's never to be a time in the Christian's life where we finally say, I'm far enough along, that's all I've got to worry about. That we henceforth, please note this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So the importance of all of this is so that we can perfect and mature and grow the, word, the, 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 um, the body of Christ. And we do that by doctrine. That's what verse 14 is dealing with. So we do all this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, which is what these followers of false teachers are, are they not? They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. doesn't matter if it's false, doesn't matter if it's good. If a spiritual leader gets up and says it, they take it as gospel and they're swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and sometimes even competing or conflicting doctrines by false teachers. They'll agree with both of them because they're swayed back and forth. They're children. They don't know their doctrine. They're children. They've not matured. They've not grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what a church is supposed to do is to help grow the people and mature them through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. You get, in a, you get in a false teaching church and you continue to follow after false doctrine, you can rest assured that church is not fulfilling its purpose. It's not teaching and maturing and growing people in this area of sound doctrine. So that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. So here's your, here's your brute beasts and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
So again, you got the children here that are back and forth. Those are the followers. And then you got those that are cunning and deceitful. Those are the leaders. Here's how we're to respond to those. Verse 15. But speak the truth in what? Love. We, we speak the truth. We're very bold about it. And I wrote down here, the way that we respond to the followers is we correct them with Scripture. When it gets to the brute beast, you'll see next week, we're going to confront them. There is a difference. We'll talk a little bit more about that next, next Wednesday night. But with this group, we're to speak the truth in what? In love. Why? Because they don't know any better. They haven't learned yet. They need to be taught. They need to be corrected from God's Word. So we speak the truth, and it's critical for you and I to realize this. We treat them gently and not the same way that we're going to treat the brute beasts that are intentionally out here doing this. We're going to try to, with compassion, say, and that's what Jude said when he was talking about the same two types of people. He said, and some have compassion, making a difference. And some save with fear. We're going to look a little bit closer at that next week. Alright, so in Ephesians chapter 4 he says, But speaking the truth in love, again, speaking of these followers, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. So you might salvage this person. You might lead them to follow Christ in his solid and his sound doctrine of Scripture. Let's look now at Second Timothy. We're supposed to, first of all, speak the truth. It don't I get so tired sometimes over the years when when someone is sincere, but they're sincerely wrong on doctrine, and somebody who knows the Scripture and knows better just sits there and nods in agreement and never says anything to fix it. Folks, that is not the way we respond to that. And I know that the argument is, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. Better to hurt their feelings and help correct them, because I'll be honest with you. I think most of us, if we're wrong, we want to be right. And if I find out later that somebody who thought they were a friend of mine knew that I was wrong on something and let me go around spouting it off everywhere, I'm going to be embarrassed about that. And I'm going to say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you help me? I would have appreciated, even if it might have embarrassed me face to face at that time, it would have saved me all the embarrassment of all the places I propagated this false teaching or doctrine. We speak the truth. We're to, we're, to, we're to correct them with Scripture. Now, by the way, you're not going to be able to correct them with Scripture if you don't know sound doctrine. And that's usually one of the big reasons why we don't. We say, I, you know, yeah, you may be right on that. Or, yeah, I could see that. Or, here's the one I, I, if you've said this before, I'm not trying to be offensive to you. I can't stand this one. Well, that's what it means, must mean to you. But this is what it means to me. Folks, there's only one truth. Application of truth can vary. I may have a different set of circumstances in my life that I apply that same truth to. But the truth doesn't change. And I've heard people that have gotten up in a Sunday school and in a Bible study where it's a group of people talking, <coughs> and they'll read the same passage, and one will say, well, this is what I get out of it, and it's one thing. And then the next group will say, well, I get this out of it, and it is in conflict with it. 
the same Holy Spirit giving illumination on the same truth is not going to tell two different people two different things. One or both of them are wrong. And that's why if there ever is a conflict of doctrine, the answer is not to just sweep it under the rug and go about it or get mad at each other and don't talk. It's, hey, we both want to be right on this. Let's get together. Let's study Scripture. Let's ask God to help us. And let's find it out. Don't, don't just sweep it under the rug. Don't, we've done that for far too long in our churches. And we are paying the price today with shallow Christianity, with people flocking to false teachers and false ministries because they don't know their doctrine. Because we've either been too worried about hurting somebody's feelings. And, and folks, you can do it in love. You, you don't have to come out and, you know, confront them. And, you know, you know, I've known preachers have done that. And maybe we've seen that in years past so much in the pulpits of our churches that we're scared to do it ourselves because we don't want to be that way. But folks, when I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, when His ministry was going on, He spoke the truth. He was very clear. There's not one time I've ever seen Him speak the truth. Even when He spoke and, 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 and rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even then, He had their best interest at heart in doing it. He was doing it in love. So we need to be doing these things. And uh, so uh, the Bible tells us uh, to, to speak the truth in love. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop there. I've got, I've got too much more to get through tonight. Uh, let's pick up there next Wednesday, uh, Lord willing, if we're still here and the rapture hasn't happened. But, folks, I, I, uh, I am burdened about sound doctrine, obviously. Uh, it means eternity for people. If we're right or wrong on certain doctrines especially, it could mean somebody's eternal destination. Vitally, vitally important that we understand this. And um, 